So I was thinking recently and I was considering what is the most damaging thing mm. to a relationship. If we think about couples that we've known closely, friends, family, they've been in otherwise stable marriages, mm -hmm. they've had families, and then something happens along the way, mm. it starts to go sideways. And I thought, what is that? What is that? And I thought to myself, well, it's it's a, almost like a sense of entitlement because what happens in a lot of couples is, and again, aside from any big kind of catastrophic uh, betrayal trust, or breaking of yeah. trust, the thing that gets subtly underneath the skin of a couple's marriage is usually going to be some level of entitlement. Like, you are not, I'm worth more than you're able to give me, right? Mm -hmm. You're not the wife that I deserve. You're not the wife that I should have. I deserve happiness. I deserve to feel love. I deserve all these things that you are not giving me and I'm entitled to it. And I thought, well, that is just so insidious. And that is, I thought to myself, that is the one of the greatest enemies of marriage. And I thought, well, actually entitlement is a symptom, right? Mm. The symptom of something much deeper, much more insidious. And we will explain and go there with you on the other side. <laughs> you what it was didn't you no i have i had another thought i had another thought <laughs> wait oh, yeah but i can't remember it <laughs> i think i just had a thought i think <laughs> so the insidious thing is so there's this quote oh, yeah what, was, what was your thought <laughs> <laughs> okay my thought was just that when we start entertaining those voices and that vocabulary of entitlement uh, you said it's a symptom and i'll let you get to what it is a symptom of but i think the danger starts happening when we start at that first step of hearing a voice and then internalizing it of mm. maybe I do deserve more maybe I should be more happy and yeah why am why am I not so happy in my marriage why is he treat me like this why is he not value me the way I want him to value me or I think he should value the me the thing about those questions are is they are valid questions on some level right because right? Right. a wife deserves to be valued a husband also deserves to be valued in his marriage so there but there's a small tweak mm -hmm. that happens that turns it into something that is devastating right. to the fabric of a marriage and we'll get to that but first our housekeeping if you haven't yet please rate review like subscribe this <laughs> video this podcast we're both video and audio at this point hey so if you're on youtube smash that like button that's what they say right or to smash that subscribe button. I don't even know. <laughs> we'll get used it. to it at one point because all the YouTube people are just so cool. They have such just too awesome cool vocabulary. For school. Yeah. We're catching uh, up. You know, we're, well, this is the time. It was not time to do video until now. Not, and I'm confident of that. So audio too. Thank you. Podcasters, not, podcast listeners, we're not going to leave you behind. Thank you for listening. Um, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of stuff to the podcast. Share. That's the easiest way I think you can sh show support for this content. This is what we do full time. Yeah. This is all we live to do right now vocationally is to create discipleship opportunities in the home as the Fredericks, as what we're mm. calling our YouTube presence is the fierce family, just living out biblical principles in the open through our marriage, through how we parent and just having those conversations kind of in real that. time with you, anyone who's willing to give us their attention for just a few minutes. So thank you so much. If you want to be part of that, go to fiercemarriage.com slash partner. There's some options there uh, and we would be honored to see you inside in there. So, okay. We talked about this kind of insidious, deep root of things like entitlement and, mm -hmm. and yes. And I do want to be clear that no 
no person, regardless of their 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 own personal contribution to a marriage, I think, well, I don't want to say regardless. I think every person is equal value, worth, and importance, mm-hmm. worthy of dignity because of who God has said you are as a human being created in his image. So in other words, it's not wrong for a wife to think, I hope, I wish my husband would treat me better. Right. But there's the subtle tweak in there that says, I deserve more and he is not that. And therefore, I deserve to leave this marriage. Right. I deserve to, whether mentally, emotionally, I'm checking out or I'm literally checking out, you know, leaving. Right. And going away. So. Not right. But yes, I agree. That is the insidiousness of it is that little twist mm. of of the lie that because someone does something my only and next response can be this, right? Yeah. It's not taking that that pause and saying, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. What am I listening to? And how is how am I letting this affect mm-hmm. and direct how I'm living out my marriage with yeah. my spouse? Yeah. So that entitlement is a symptom and it's a symptom of pride. Okay. That's, that's the, the big, that's the big insidious thing that I think is the root of every yeah. Human sin is going to be pride. It goes all the way back to the garden when, and we're probably going to talk about this. We are. When, okay, so I'll let you get into that. But pr- I want to share this quote by yeah. C.S. Lewis. Everybody loves C.S. Lewis. Pride is spiritual cancer. It eats mm. up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Hmm. It's spiritual cancer. Mm. It eats up, it consumes, even it crowds out. That's what cancer does, right? Yeah. Even the possibility of love Mm. or contentment or of the third thing, which I can't see now because it's off the screen (laughs) or common sense. There it is. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into scripture. Let's see where this comes from. We're not just making this stuff up. This is a biblical idea that pride is, is poisonous. We're going to lay out kind of three discussion points for you so that you can kind of hang your hat on where we're going. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to talk about pride. So he's kind of stepped into, we're defining it. What does it look like in marriage and how does it affect our marriage? Because I think pride, it can look the same, but we're going to talk specifically how it kind of rears its ugly head within our relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the gospel, how does the gospel kill pride and then redeem that time or redeem maybe that brokenness and lead us into what we call gospel fueled humility. Uh, Mm. So defining what that is, how that might be different from a unbeliever's view of humility and what does that look like in marriage? Mm. How does it affect our marriage and how does it preserve and protect our marriage into the future? So we're talking about pride, looking at scripture. We have a few listed out here that we're going to talk about. You were talking about Genesis three in the fall, which is obviously where we started uh, talking about pride yeah well if you're not familiar we don't know where you're coming from as you're viewing this listening to this in scripture okay when we talk about the bible we're talking about the scripture that starts with the book of genesis Mm -hmm. in the beginning is what genesis starts at and god creates the heavens and the earth he creates mankind and everything's perfect Mm -hmm. they're all in the garden there's perfect for lack of a better term harmony Mm -hmm. there's perfect communion with god man and woman are walking with god Mm -hmm in complete, perfect relationship. Then there's this antagonist that enters into the human story. And the antagonist is the serpent in the garden. And, and the serpent is uh, is the enemy, right? Satan, essentially. And saying, Eve, you should basically disobey God. Now, God had given them the command, you can eat of any tree of, 
of the garden that is good for eating. Everything is for your health and everything is for your flourishing. But do not eat of the one tree in the center of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent says to Eve, are you sure that God, I mean, did God really say that? He's basically, he's giving her these kind of these half truths. And the, you know, the long story short is, she eats of the fruit of the tree. Mm-hmm. Okay, and of course it was wrapped in this but idea. How is that prideful? Well, Wasn't she deceived? <laughs> she was deceived. And yeah, and so he, so the first thing the enemy does is he will remove God from his rightful place mm. as the as the one who should reign, as so the king, good. as the creator, and say, did he really say that? So he just so what's he doing? He's, he's yeah, he's coming from the a, a back angle and saying God is not actually God. Hmm. He's not actually all you think he is. Okay. Think about how that might happen in your own marriage hmm. as maybe one of some, something in you says, did God really say like, we have to stay together? Like if I'm unhappy, did God really, Yeah. did he really say that? Okay. And so we start to kind of take God out of that place of being the, the Lord over our marriage, the, mm-hmm. the, the one who's sovereign. And then the enemy now says, don't you want to know like all that God, he, he's just trying to so hide something from God you. So he takes God out, which goes beautifully with our conversation. And this was just a little <laughs> kismet thing happening. But he takes God out of his place and then elevates self. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, first you have to dethrone the king mm. and then you elevate yourself into the mm. place of king. Right. And that is pride. Oh, pride is saying, I, wait, God, God's not really God. I can actually now be God. Right. Did God if, really say? And did God really say? And he's yeah. just trying to, he just doesn't want you to know what he knows because he's trying to hold out on you. Mm. It's a lie. And that's basically the third piece is that not only can you step into place and be the God and the, the, your own authority, <laughs> but the, the lie is that, and that will be better for you. Mm. And that there somehow is. God is holding there something, is. he's holding out on you. And, and of course, Eve takes the bait hook, line, and sinker. With apparently Adam right there. And Adam is, is not <laughs> blameless in this. In fact, I, I, and this is a different conversation altogether, but God doesn't go to Eve and you, say, no, what the, did she do? Oh, yes. God he goes, goes to... He, he goes to Adam. But the enemy went to Eve, the which is interesting. Uh, which is a very interesting thing. So what we're not trying to talk about that, and the, the, the nuances <laughs> of even gender and all those sorts of things and how God... Uh, the roles. Roles, which are beautiful. Roles, we're not yeah. here to talk about that today. But... This, this idea of pride and yeah. how and the dynamic of it. But first there's the dethronement of the king and then now you are basically mutinizing, mutinizing yeah. against the Lord. And, and it's all based on this lie that he's holding out on us that we know better for ourselves. Mm, and it will be better. So again, we see the themes of pride. Uh, Proverbs and Psalms are mm-hmm. littered with pride and foolishness. A few that come to mind is Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Mm. Psalm ten four in the pride of his face the wicked does not seek him all his thoughts are there is no God. First mm. uh, John two fifteen through seventeen we're going to ta- read through quickly and talk about and then we're going to kind of hang our hats on this last section of scripture in Mark seven uh, about what actually defiles a person. Can we pause real fast before we go into First John? Just that Psalm ten verse four is exactly what we're talking about. It's mm-hmm. in the pride of his. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Mm. That's right. That's the essence. That That is basically the stance we have to take if we're going to ignore all that God has commanded us. Mm-hmm. We have to basically say, you are not God in the sense that actually matters to my life. It actually yeah. changes my, it doesn't actually govern me. 
right? And this is, I could go off on this, but our Western model for Christianity has become so me-focused, so consumer-centric that we no longer think that God requires something of us that we don't want to give. Mm-hmm. We think that God will only give to us and it, I will consume the things of God without actually being consumed by him. Mm. That is not a Christianity that Christ gave us. A Christianity that Christ gave us was a faith that Christ gave us was all-consuming. Mm-hmm. The scriptures say our God is an all-consuming fire. Mm. And that includes us. That that we, he, he, he of every of everybody in the universe, God is God alone and he alone deserves all the glory and he will have it and he will have it through our lives whether we give it voluntarily or not. Right? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And so for us to say t- to God, I'm not going to obey you is for us to say if effectively there is no God because if we actually beheld the God of the Bible, we would obey. <laughs> we would obey per- perfectly and that's a fallen state, keeps us from seeing him perfectly, the whole Adam and Eve thing. So anyway, I just found that profound that at the root of our rebellion toward God is the exact same lie that Eve and, mm. and Adam believed is that there, God isn't really God. In other words, there is no God. So let's go into First John 2. Um, or is that where you wanted to go next? Yes, I okay. did. First John 2, 15 through 17. Uh, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, hmm. the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hmm. Do not love the world or mm-hmm. the things of the world. Now, let me ask this. Could that include, uh, again, going back to the sense of entitlement that we might have as married people, could that include the world's brand of happiness? Mm, or like we talked about last week, the world's brand of love. Yes. Or the world's brand of self-actualization. Yeah. Again, I, I, I'm thinking of actual couples that we've known that have been stable at one point but then there's a crack something gets in to -hmm. their relationship and either the husband or the wife they start thinking thoughts like i deserve whatever the thing is they're not instead of finding their rooting their reality in god his word right they're rooting their reality in something else something else happens to be some worldly ideology that you just you know that I deserve better than right. this. She he, isn't giving me what I, I'm entitled to. Therefore, I can do the thing that is counter um, to Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can either go have an affair or I can walk away from this marriage or I can... And, and I will feel addiction. good in that. That's yeah. the thing is I will feel justified in that. I'll feel righteous in that because I've bought a lie. Momentarily. <laughs> well, I would that's, argue that's momentarily. You, you, feel, you feel justified <laughs> in taking the bite of the fruit. Yeah. And then as soon as you do... Oh. As soon as that, as soon as that gavel hits the bench, so to speak, and it's done, the the divorce is done, or the mm. affair is done, or whatever the thing is, it's done. Then all of a sudden, you realize, what have I done? Mm. I, I bought a lie, and now I have to live in the fallout of this atomic bomb that's just gone off right. in our lives. So uh, Matthew, sorry, Mark seven, the other M book in the Bible. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, verse twenty through twenty three. So this. This is, I say Mark, I'm in John. Oh, Mark, sorry. Uh, We're talking about what defiles a person. So Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they're going through some of the commandments and traditions. 
And I think they were talking about, uh, he's trying to clarify. Jesus is saying, hear me all you who understand in verse 14. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So looking at the laws and traditions in the Old Testament, there was Mm -hmm. many laws on what people could eat or not eat. He's saying this has now changed. And when he had entered the house, verse 17, and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not in not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, mm. murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Interesting. I think we tend to put pride not in that category <laughs> of sin, right? We try to we try to categorize our, our pride and well our sin. What's worse? You know, murder feels worse than pride, but God's saying Nope. Covetousness, pride, deceit. Hmm. Uh, I thought even anger was on here. The Maybe that's in Matthew when he talks about the... Murders in here, which is akin to anger. Yes. In, in Jesus' teaching. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny you say that because you could, I think, make a pretty strong case for every one of these flowing out of pride in some way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so think about um, wickedness or, or think about deceit, right? Pride, like someone who deceives willfully. Mm-hmm goes out to deceive someone else basically says i'm worth more than you you don't i don't, you don't I, i'm above truth, yeah. you i'm above telling you the truth because i need to get what i want from you or the situation or whatever you think about coveting yeah right that they, they shouldn't have the thing i need the thing right. I, I deserve the right. thing if you think about foolishness <laughs> i know better yeah i mean we talked about, <laughs> i preached on this at, at church on sunday and what i said was the world is full of smart fools and wise idiots. And what I mean by that is that there's, there's a brand of intelligence of heart application. Wisdom is knowing what is right and then doing what is right out of an acknowledgement of who God is. That's what wisdom is. Mm. That I live in account and have to give an account unto not just God, but the way he's designed his, his sovereign decree and how he's designed the world yeah. and how he's designed even the universe to work, the ethics, the oughts and ought nots that come along, the philosophies of, yeah. of knowing God's law. So like being a smart fool would mean that I know better. Hmm. That's pride. Yeah. Whereas maybe wise idiot's not a good term because I think you can have somebody who has maybe a low IQ, but they're very wise because they just love and they obey the Lord. And idiot's maybe a more of a pejorative term than should be used, but I use it on <laughs> Sunday morning, so I used it here. Well. <laughs> but the point is, uh, I just think every one of these things that, that Mark is outlining here, sexual immorality, is rooted in pride. Mm-hmm. Think about, okay, think about getting into uh, watching pornography, right? What is your heart doing in that moment? You're saying that this person or these people that I'm consuming, I'm consuming their bodies in a way for my own pleasure. Mm-hmm. I'm watching, I'm consuming. What does that say? It says that that person mm-hmm. is actually not of any value because I'm just going to consume them. And you know what? When I'm finished, I'm going to discard them. Mm. What is that if that's not a prideful orientation toward another human being, a prideful propping up of oneself and saying, 
I can literally consume anyone and anything because I want it. Hmm. Because I deserve it. Because I deserve satisfaction for whatever whatever urges and, whatever and because there is no god right because there is no god yes there is no in that mm. belief just because you don't believe that god maybe said the things that he did doesn't mean that they don't exist that he didn't say them he well that's the thing is you i don't mean to interrupt you but people live out the way of foolishness and then they wonder why they Get it doesn't work out. Of foolishness, <laughs> right. right? We always say this in you our household. We say, "Play dumb games, win dumb w- prizes. <laughs> dumb prizes. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes." That's Play what foolish games, you get fool prizes. Yeah, it's like you can't continue to just act like gravity's not real and jump off any cliff that you happen to see. Like right. you're gonna, you're gonna fall to your death. Right. And that's what we do in a, from a moral ethical standpoint when we act as fools and we do so because of pride so you've touched a lot on what pride is what it looks like uh we want to just kind of give a few more examples so we talked about how pride puffs up a person uh kind of this i deserve this mentality very much the entitlement uh causes ourselves to kind of be supreme um others don't get it right i see all the variables Hmm. i can't don't correct me don't call me out don't hold me accountable because i'm Hmm. right i see it i know it i am you know Hmm. the higher being here uh, again, it dehumanizes our our spouse, and it typically can come out in how we communicate with one another, right. how we interact, uh, how we treat each other when it comes to <clears throat> what are those like you know priorities, right. our finances, intimacy, everything. It it just kind of leaks out this puffing up of oneself, and pride right. is also self sovereign. If you're puffing yourself up, then you are believing that you are your own sovereign, right? Yeah. Uh, and you're trying to make others see that as well, right? I answered myself and no one else. I don't know if anybody would actually say that. Maybe some people do say that. Yeah. Um, but again, how you act and how you communicate to one another is, is going to show what you believe about yourself and how you believe mm. yourself to either be under God's authority or above it. Uh, things like, you know, you wrote my intellect, my desires, my reasons, my emotions, they're all sovereign. Yeah. Basically using that as just a way to justify your sin uh, and not learning to submit to the authority of God and how yeah. God instructs us to love one another, to give ourselves up for one another. To, and what is giving ourselves up, but giving up uh, an emotional response that we think and rightfully should have towards them because of the way they just spoke mm-hmm. out and talked back to me and argued with me or, you know, undercut me or whatever and so again we see this laying down but that can't happen if we're living and existing in this heart attitude of i'm sovereign i am this i am god right god is not god he he is but he's not i feel like what i feel and the things that i want uh, are way more important and so then we we kind of work ourselves into this self-seeking uh like a worship a self-worship of since I'm both supreme, then it's appropriate for me to want the things I want to disregard how it affects others to, like you said, just dispose of them uh, and their feelings. Hmm. And I think we see this, I think at the ultimate level of uh, things like infidelity and addictions uh, and the emotional affairs. So I, I want to draw a quick example out from our own lives. Um, This is not in the notes. (laughs) Think of any time. Think of any time when I've been unloving towards you. Okay, in my communication. Never. Never. Think of that one time. That one time. Okay. I was. 
<laughs> and it's kind of the caricature of husbands and wives, right? The husband just always wants to fix it or the husband's so logical or so like, and the women, you know, brashly speaking, you know, tend to be more emotional, dr- emotionally driven, feelings driven. And some of that's beautiful and good. I'm not trying to say one's better than the other. I think they both need to work in complementary roles toward yeah. one another. But anytime that I've been unloving to you, it's because I have taken a posture of my way is the right way. And I just need to get you on board. And, there, you know, you, you could be, husbands, I'm talking to you or wives, you could be factually correct. Hmm. Yeah. You could be completely factually correct with what you're saying, but completely and utterly wrong in how you're saying it. And that's, and of course, everyone knows that right now, if you're watching this or listening to this, you know that, but when you're in the heat of a battle and you're, you're kind of, you're entrenched in your arguments. Mm-hmm. Now I would then, my, the habit that I've had to break over the 17 years we've been married, it's 18 now. <laughs> I think it's I 18 think it's years 18. now. It's fine. The, the pattern I've had to break as a husband is to notice when I can feel that welling up within me, that kind of that, that self-righteous pride that says, I'm right. I just need to say, and to instead by the power of the Holy Spirit say, how can I love her in this? Even though. I could name a hundred reasons that I'm, I'm right factually and I just need to set the record straight. Instead, I can say, okay, I communicate to you in love and say, I can see that you are hearing something yeah. and experiencing something that I need to be sympathetic mm-hmm. to you and loving to you in this. We're going to set all this aside. How can I'm asking myself this. How can I love my wife well in that moment? Don't do that perfectly, but see the difference between pride yeah. and the humility that we're going to talk about later is this sense of I need to first stand humbly before God. I'm going to answer to how I mm-hmm. love my wife. I'm going to answer to God for that. I'm also going to answer to my wife because I'm not like we're equal in our marriage of value, worth and importance. Mm-hmm. We are both <laughs> on the same plane here. She's my helper. Yes. But there is, a, I, in many ways, I am serving her from underneath. And so that's, that's a posture of humility. I haven't, I don't have this perfect perfected. I don't want to sound <laughs> like that, but I just, that's, that's what causes me to kind of break that pride well and i think own. i think there's a piece too i don't want to just say and not to disqualify the holy spirit at all because there is a piece of i need the holy spirit to empower me to be obedient to christ right. to god to his word when it comes to loving my husband submitting my own feelings and emotions that are not uh mm-hmm. biblical or right in that in that moment however for me uh i have found that a lot of my um, growth spiritually, I guess, comes down to a decision. And I think hmm. identifying that decision as being obedient or disobedient to God, knowing that the Holy Spirit empowers me to be obedient despite how I feel. So I sometimes get really angry and heated about things <laughs> occasionally in our marriage. <laughs> and I started reading a book about, uh, it's called, I think, the bi- dealing with this big problem or something. I can put it in the show notes or whatever. But uh, it talks about just kind of the effects of anger on those around you. And I started looking at that. The Holy Spirit started convicting me, of course, in such good ways. Mm. And then it just came down to that that moment of like, I'm heated. These are things I want to say. This is how I want to act. However, oh, the Holy Spirit <laughs> has said, God's word said, if I love God, then I'm not going to act this way. But I really, really want to act this way. But if the fruit of the Spirit is at work in me, how can I respond? How can I not respond differently? I have to respond with gentleness and patience and kindness and love. Like, I have to. Otherwise, I am denying 
Christ in my life, which yes, we do when we sin and God's grace covers us. But to willfully do that over and over again causes me to question uh, my own belief and the weight Mm. that I'm actually putting into who God says he is. Therefore, who am I and how can I respond? There is um, in calculus what's called in any sort of, I guess, mathematics or statistics, there's what's called an inflection point, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about if something is curving upward at a sharp curve and if it's exponential, it's going to keep going and going to get more drastic. Well, the inflection point is the point at which that goes from being a concave curve if you're you're, or convex, however you want to look at it, it changes now its orientation. So it goes from being shooting upward even higher and now it's tapering out over Mm. the top. And so what you just described is that I know that these feelings are real in this moment. Mm -hmm. And in my flesh, this will escalate kind of until it's just going to die out on its own. Mm -hmm. But in the spirit, that's when I can say there's this inflection point that says, no, I am not a slave to the flesh. Mm Mm-hmm. I am instead a slave to Christ and I'm empowered and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And I need to make a decision as a mature Christian, as a mature disciple of Christ, as a mature husband, wife, mother, father, whatever. And you take that, that moment and you change the inflection point. So now instead of just sloping upward, mm-hmm. it's now sloping and tapering off right. and you begin to actually see um, better health in that area. So right. uh, I just wanted to disenchant this like, well, the Holy Spirit yeah. just takes me over and something happens and it's like, well, no. That's not what I'm saying here. I just well, yes, a, but yes, also but no. no. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, that's good. Good. So we've talked about pride being uh, pride. Pride puffs up. Yeah, makes us think high, more highly than our, of ourselves than we ought. Uh, it's self-sovereign. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes us self-sovereign that I answer to myself, myself alone, mm. and I just dangerous. Want to reiterate? We don't. We answer to God, and you know what? We answer to one another. We are not I- islands unto ourselves. No matter what. Western philosophy would have us believe I am not (laughs) self-actualized. I am part of a community and I am part of, I'm one of God's children and Mm. I have to answer to him. Uh, And then the final one is pride is self-seeking. Okay. It naturally leads to self-worship. And this is the kind of the, the, this follows, right? Since I am both supreme and sovereign, it's appropriate for me to get what I want. And to seek only that. (laughs) Even if it means disregarding everything else, everyone else. All right. So think of any time the world says, get those things and then you get them and you're like, why is everyone broken and hating me around me? Well, why do you think (laughs) you've engaged in the pride? You've, you've bought the lie. You've said, I'm the only one that matters. Well, you can't say those things and live those things Mm -hmm. out and expect everyone to be on board with you. (laughs) Yeah. I I was actually reading an article and I I don't know how it's probably just clickbait, but I think it was like, (laughs) Oh no, 40 or like some vast majority of percentage of couples, like 60% of couples or 70% of couples report having financial infidelity within the last, I don't know, six months or something. Right. This is very common. Yeah. Very whatever. And I'm just thinking, really? Like what? And then I was thinking, what is financial infidelity? As it turns out, it's things like making big purchases without telling your spouse or consulting with them first or having maybe, money socked away somewhere that they don't know about that's just for you and for what you want to spend it on hidden bank accounts uh hidden credit cards financial infidelity those things are like symptoms of that's what i'm saying is we talked about if 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 we are sovereign and we are supreme then it follows that i it's appropriate right it's not just okay but it's appropriate it's right it's right for me to get what Mm. i have coming to me because i'm the king right and i deserve it 
and you're only holding me back from what I really deserve oh, and what I really want. So therefore, you don't deserve to know. In fact, it's none of your business. How dare you? <laughs> right? You see how the, the script completely it flips. It's fast. It's but a fast turn. Pride ruins everything. It ruins it is the Toby of marriage. <laughs> it is the Toby. It ruins everything, makes everything not fun. So how do we get out of this rut that we're in? Uh, Where's our hope? Where's our hope in this? (laughs) Selena, bring us home. (laughs) Well, thankfully, we are not without hope. Uh, As you know, we have the gospel. We have the good news of the gospel. Uh, This is where we're talking about gospel-fueled humility. So is it Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? This is where we are seeing... Mm. This is where we get to rightfully see ourselves. Um, In Genesis, Adam and Eve communed with God. They were in the presence of God all the time. Sin Mm. came, broke that relationship. And then Christ came many, many years later, obviously, and he he died. He restored, Mm. made us right in right standing. Uh, By nothing that we deserve. While we were still sinning, we were still, while we were still sinners, he died for us. How anti- pride is that as far as humility as far as and and this is this was i was really excited to talk about this part because and maybe i maybe i'm going to get out of order here a little bit but gospel fueled humility versus gospel i mean versus just the unbelievers version of humility yeah that's interesting um i think that the thing that makes it different is there's an eternal peace and that would make anything different right of the unbeliever versus a believer is this eternal peace of I, my confidence and my identity is in Christ. Uh, therefore, like who he is bears weight and determines who I am and how I can then act uh, towards my spouse. Hmm. I don't have to, I don't have to be prideful. I don't, because he's king, I don't have to. And so this gospel fueled humility is one that trusts and kind of lives with eternity in mind. So the there and then versus just the temporary here and now, uh, I think an unbeliever yeah. might, might just think, well, I'll just be humble and let them have this and that should make me feel good. Right. And that's, that's, it just ends there of giving Interesting. up. It lands there. Okay. Now I just move on to the next thing. Whereas, this humility that is rooted in the gospel understands it on many levels. I don't even think we fully understand the humility of Christ and argue, how it fuels us. I would argue that true humility is impossible outside of the gospel. And you probably would say the same thing. Probably. But here's how I would I would position that, or at least posture myself to make that argument, <laughs> is that you think of anyone who's you know thinking of others, um, and and doing so whether it's altruism you know, yeah. helping others or just thinking of their spouse or just trying to be a better husband or whatever. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm doing that because it makes me feel better because it makes me feel more hmm. like a better husband. I'm checking the right boxes and whatever my worldview is, because remember this is without the gospel. Sure. Whatever my worldview is, I'm saying that I'm doing the things that I, according to my morality, yeah, am a virtuous person. Look hmm. at me. Look at how good I am. <laughs> you might not say that, Look at these poor people. They need people, someone to serve them soup or whatever at the soup kitchen. Look at how good I am. Mm. And I can I can hear them say thank you. And I can get that little tiny bit of glory, that little glimpse. Mm. And I think at the end of the day, humility outside of the gospel becomes just another manipulation tactic. tactic. Mm-hmm. I, it becomes I just agree. another way yeah. for me to use someone to my end. Mm. Yeah. So if I'm being loving to you outside of the the 
internal, the welling up from within that, that the experience that I've had with Christ, his radical grace, he, he not only died for my sin, but he gave me his right, he imputed into me, unto Mm. me, his righteousness so that I might stand before a holy, just God, blameless. Yeah. Goodness. That from the inside now says, I have to love my wife well, because I need to love God because he, how, what is the other, what is, there's no other option. There's no other option. option What else am I to do as somebody who has experienced the saving grace of the eternal God? See, it's gospel-fueled humility always wells up from within. And notice it's not humiliation. I'm not just... A doormat. I'm not just a doormat. I'm not just here and now for anyone to use however they they see fit. But instead, I am compelled now out of a sense of deep dignity because of Christ. Yeah. Compelled now to love out of that. The the story that always comes to mind, we don't have time for it. I'm sure I'll talk about it at some point in the near future, (laughs) is Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Mm-hmm. That whole story of the guy who, so tr- this this is exactly what gospel-fueled humility yes. is. Right? Remember, this guy had a massive, insurmountable debt. In today's dollars, it's it's many, many millions of dollars, right? He goes to the king. The king says, pay up. He says, I have no money to pay. The king says, all right, well, you're free to go. Your, your debt has been hmm. paid. Go. Enjoy your freedom. Now, the same guy who had who owed all, owed all that money, then immediately went down the street to his neighbor who owed him basically the equivalent of like 20 bucks. Like, hey, give me my money. I'm sorry, man, I don't have it. I can't pay you right now. Maybe just give me a few more days. I'll bring get the funds together. Give me my money. Yeah. This is the guy that just had, had been forgiven millions and millions of dollars in debt, and now he's wringing the neck of somebody who owes him mm. 20 bucks. Hmm. And the king gets wind of this and says, you wicked mm. servant, mm. you wicked, unforgiving servant. You now need to pay your debts. Hmm. So the humility that we have of being the, the, that servant, of being the one who's been forgiven, now tells us, it compels us to say, of course, how can I hold your sin against you right. when God has not held my sin against me? How can I? Yes, you've maybe wronged me. Yes, as a husband or a wife, I deserve better. I can say that objectively, but I also know that you're a sinner just like me. Mm-hmm. And I also know that we're going to work together and we're going to work through this sin by God's grace, right? hand in hand, and I'm not going to stand over you now, you know, throwing mud, so to speak. But I said, right. I'm going to get down with you and I'm going to. Right. Well, it's this idea of like what you said in marriage. So the re- the mutual respect. So no longer is hmm. one elevated above the other, lording it over the other, uh, smashing the other. <laughs> but yeah. they are, we are in a mutual respect yeah. because we have a right understanding of who God is and therefore who we are and who we get to yeah. be. So if we understand that we are both created in the image of God, I mean, contrast that with the pride of being puffed up, right? So instead of, of this, that I not, we are both valued. We were both Amen. the same blood that covers him covers me. There's, there's no difference. So even though we are different as husband and wife, uh, we are both equal in value, worth, and importance. And yeah. you did talk about that in God's eyes and in the marriage relationship. And so contrast that with the pride of being self-sovereign, right? Yeah. So... Now, what I value, what I want, what I desire is no longer the the end game. Mm-hmm. Now, mm. it's okay. What it's not even about what we desire together. It's about what does God desire for us in our yeah. marriage. That's why I just love Paul's vision for marriage that he gives us in both Colossians and Ephesians. But he says, mm. "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as if unto the Lord." He takes this, this biblical idea that we are both of equal value, worth, and importance, and says, by the way, you are underneath your sovereign king who is Christ. Mm. Now, husbands, 
love. Mm-hmm. Come underneath your wife and love her as a servant leader, just like Christ has loved you. Die for her. Give your life for her. Sacrifice your desires mm-hmm. for her. Do that daily. Mm-hmm. And then wife, what is it? Submit. And you go like, now <laughs> you, you, you are submitting <laughs> in a way that's not just a doormat, but it's now out of this place of security, of this place mm-hmm. of feeling the love of God through Christ and through your husband, mm-hmm. this right ordering. Now there's this beautiful dance of mutual of sa- mutual sacrifice, mm-hmm. mutual generosity, mutual love that is just otherworldly. Right. And pride has no place in that. It does. <laughs> has no place. No place. Pride has no place in so, a godly marriage. The gospel-fueled humility causes us to thrive because it naturally just begets mm. that mutual respect. So no longer can I hold your imperfections and your shortcomings against you and your sin because God hasn't done that to me. Hmm. God has not held my sin against me. So again, what is my response? What can my only response be but forgiveness? And you might be sitting here wrestling with that. How can I forgive? How can I move forward and pass this? I don't understand. And I would encourage you to pray to lean and seek, lean into and seek the Lord through his word, through prayer and communion with him, through worship and through your local community and your body of uh, of believers and know God, understand his love. Because when we understand who he is, again, who he is and how he loved us and how he didn't have to, only then can we allow this, this forgiveness to flow out and this humility to flow out and this grace to be extended. I love that you said pray because I feel like if there is a silver bullet to be had, it's prayer in this area. Mm-hmm. In other words, aside from the gospel, aside from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, prayer is something that we cannot do with a posture of pride, at least not honestly. Mm. And so if I contend that if you have a, a marriage that is has a husband and a wife who are both constantly, earnestly seeking the Lord in prayer and fighting for one another in prayer, they will have a very healthy marriage. Yeah. Husband and wife, both. Because it's possible for a wife to be a prayer warrior and a husband to be completely off the rails. Mm -hmm. We get those stories almost daily. The same is true for wives being off the rails and husbands contending. Mm -hmm. So it goes both ways. It does. But prayer is an... We cannot pray with a posture of pride. We cannot... Because that very act itself is going to God saying, I need you. I Mm -hmm. am not God. Mm -hmm. You are. Help me. And that... I think that's the antidote, if there is one, to be had. And yeah. I think this is it. Pray. Pray. Ask the Lord to in, to to imbue you with the, the, the confidence and the knowledge of, of being one who has been saved by him, but now can live out that saving grace in a right. way that's tangible in your marriage. And pride would keep our hearts hardened towards the things of God. Mm. Uh, again, denying his existence, denying his mm. uh, promises for us, denying who his commandments for us and his call his instruction but humility rooted in the gospel it should keep our hearts soft soft hearts our soft soft hearts uh that again are just that result of experiencing god so i think our just kind of encouragement to you would just be prayer and asking saying god help us to seek humility towards one another Mm -hmm. help our marriage to be marked by mutual respect Uh, Help us to have soft hearts to remain transparent with each other uh, at new levels. And I think for a couple's conversation challenge, one would be, how can we embrace this idea of gospel-fueled humility in our marriage? Uh, 
and another, I mean, to contrast that would might be to just first identify like, how is pride creeping in? How do we see pride creeping in, uh, to our marriage and how we communicate or our intimate life or our finances, uh, time priorities, all of that. How do I see pride starting to creep in? Yeah. And you mentioned them, but I want to make them really clear. These five areas of your marriage that you can be asking yourself is pride creeping in intimacy, finances, communication, conflict, priorities. Those five areas are always going to have like the pillars of like the problems of marriage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Problem pillars. No. So yeah, that's a good question to ask yourselves. Um, I think that's it for today. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank mm-hmm. you for loving us. Um, and humbling yourself to death, even death on a cross, so that we might know you. Now, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and ask you to rid us of pride, rid our hearts of pride, rid our marriages of pride. Lord, I pray for the husband or the wife um, that are hearing this or watching this, that you would be at work in their heart, softening their heart, ridding their, their hearts of pride, showing them ways to love humbly as a result of how they've been loved in you. And Lord, may they see positive change in their marriage. Um, for your glory, for their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Fierce Marriage Podcast, Fierce Marriage Show. <laughs> Maybe we'll start calling it? it a show now. The show. Welcome to the show. Anyway. So, yeah. So, thanks for joining us, and we will see you again in seven days. So until then, stay fierce. Stay fierce.